0: This is Father Jeremiah, and this podcast is entitled, Vocation, God's Plan for Our Life. Begin with a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. As they were going along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But he said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It is certainly an intense gospel passage that we have just heard. And after we get over the initial shock of these words and certainly as we read the rest of the gospel as a whole, we realize that Jesus is not calling us to indifference or hatred towards our family members or friends, but rather He is reminding us of our mission. He's reminding us of our vocation, which is God's plan for our life. To follow Jesus is essentially our vocation. Every single person man, woman, child, young, old, is called to follow Christ. And all that Jesus is doing in this gospel passage is reminding us, yes, through very intense language and very demanding examples, that everything else in life is secondary. Following Jesus is primary, and everything else must take a back seat. Oftentimes in the church there are well at least we we really speak of two different types of vocation. The first type is what I call general or general vocation. Every one of us is called to holiness, to union with God. In Genesis 1, we are told that we are made in God's image and likeness, and that the only way our lives make any sense is in and through relationship with God and so holiness reunion with God deep relationship with our Creator is what we're all called to and every person in virtue of the fact that they are born means that they are known and that they are loved by God No person is an accident. St. Paul says in his letter to Titus, he says, The grace of God has appeared for the salvation of all men. The second kind of vocation is what I refer to as our specific vocation. And all that means is, our specific vocation is the way, or the structure, or the means in which we live out this call to holiness. It is, in a sense, the concrete details of our life. And just as an example, marriage is probably the most common, specific vocation. God calls, it seems, most people, or at least a large percentage of people, to the vocation of marriage. He calls others to religious life, to priesthood, and he calls others to live singly in the world. And so that is the specific vocation that God calls each one of us to. And the question that can be asked is, well, who gives us this specific vocation? Who is it that calls a couple to marriage? Who is it that calls a man or a woman to religious life? You know, did, did we simply come up with the idea? And the answer is no. It is Jesus who gives us our specific vocation. It is Jesus who inspires us with the idea of being married, of living singly in the world, of being a priest or religious. You know, it is Jesus who called St. John John Bosco to work with children. And it is Jesus who called St. Benedict to become a monk. Both St. John Bosco and St. Benedict responded to the same gospel, but in the way that Jesus was speaking to them. So even if we share a common, specific vocation, so even if two people are religious, the way that they will live out their religious life could be very different, depending on what Jesus calls them to. My own vocation, I knew when I was a young boy, probably about eight years old, I knew two things. I knew that God was calling me to be a priest and that he was calling me to be a religious. Although at the time I didn't know what the term religious meant. But I knew that God was calling me to some form of religious life as a monk or as a Franciscan. And that inspiration came from Jesus himself, because I was simply too young to think of it myself. Most other eight-year-olds were not thinking about being a priest or about being a religious. And so our specific vocation, first and foremost, is following Jesus, nothing else. That is why we cannot identify our vocation with an image or with a form. You know, being a monk is not a romantic idealized picture of the silence of the cloister. Oftentimes we might see a documentary or a vocation ad of a monk in a monastery and just by looking at it, it looks sort of and almost there's this romantic notion of silence and and being in union with God. Being a monk is, is more than that. Being a Franciscan is more than just wearing sandals and a beard. Being a priest is more than just wearing nice vestments and preaching to the multitudes. Being married is more than just not being alone. All of these things are symbols and signs of the vocation. But what all of these vocations have at their core is the following of Jesus. And if that is not the core of every vocation, the vocation is going to die. And the person attempting to live that vocation is going to be frustrated, disappointed, not living up, in a sense, to what God is calling them to. I remember when I was a young friar, when I was a novice, there was a group of priests in New York who would call us the the Groschelians after Father Benedict Groschel, and every time we would be at an event these certain priests would say, oh, here are the Groeschelians again. You know, and they didn't mean anything, obviously, bad by it. They were just joking with us. But from the very first time I heard that word, I remember hating it. <laughs> I remember hating being called a Groeschelian. Not because I didn't love Father Benedict. Of course not. I love Father Benedict. But why I didn't like that was because I did not just give up my entire life to follow Father Benedict as great and wonderful as a man as he was. But I gave up my life because I was following Jesus who happened to call both Father Benedict and myself along the same way. And so if we identify our vocation with an image or with a form, then it becomes an attraction to something that is not Christ, which is, in a sense, good old fashioned idolatry placing something that is not God in the place of God. It could be people. It could be situations, it could be circumstances, it could be devotions, it could be the way our own idea of how married life is supposed to look or supposed to be, or the way religious life is supposed to look or supposed to be. I heard a story recently of a priest who was doing a wedding, and this couple had spent so much money on their wedding, on the party afterwards, and having all of these uh, nice, elaborate things at their wedding, all the things which are not bad, of course. But the priest said to the bride one day, he was just getting so frustrated with her, he said, I hope you spend as much time on your marriage as you do on your wedding. Because it's very easy for us to want to buy into the image, buy into the forms of our vocation and leave Christ behind. A marriage is not about necessarily the wedding party or about having the most elaborate stuff and the most beautiful wedding. Those are all good things, of course. But if the marriage is not about Christ, we're missing the essential element You know, when the spiritual life gets tough, when we experience desolation of of any kind, when we experience maybe the dark nights that St. John of the Cross talks about, we always want to cling to something external to console us. It's a very natural human response. But what we have to cling to is Christ himself. All the forms and all the images get burned away because they are not ends in and of themselves. And so there are, the way I see it, there are two essential dispositions that we need to live our specific vocations. The first one is gift of self. Each vocation structure, so it's its way of life, is intended on purpose by God to pull us out of ourselves and have us turn towards God. Oftentimes, and I see this all the time, in marriage, the best thing that can happen to a couple is kids. Why? Because it makes them grow up really. Fast. Just a few weeks ago, I was with um, I was visiting my family, and I went to I went over to good friends of mine who I grew up with in high school, who I who I knew almost my whole life, and now they have two kids, and those kids are eight years old and four years old, and those kids have made my friends grow up incredibly fast. When, I, when they first got married, like many people, they were very immature, they were very self-centered, they were very self-focused. And having these children have completely gotten them out of themselves. It is, in a sense, the best thing that could ever happen to them. And God knows that, and He does that on purpose, because He wants us not to be turned in towards ourselves, but to, be towards out, to look out towards others. Because it is by giving ourself away that we really experience the beauty of being human. Selfishness is what destroys the human soul. It is the ultimate demise of marriage and religious life. The most miserable people in the world are the most selfish people. John Paul II once said that the only way to find oneself is through a sincere gift of oneself. And really, all that John Paul II is doing is commenting on the words of Jesus when he says that he who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. This gift of self certainly doesn't happen automatically. I know many priests, many religious, many married people, many single people who are selfish, who are self-obsessed. The battle against selfishness is lifelong. And the solution to this disease, that is selfishness, is living our vocation. Living our vocation, following Christ, is the way out of ourselves. The danger of a celibate vocation, so a priest or a religious, a brother or sister or a monk or a nun, the danger of celibacy is that because we don't have children, because we don't have many bills to pay or certain responsibilities that people in the world have, this could seriously stunt our growth. A celibate person is in danger of never growing to full maturity, to full personhood, because he has No children or no spouse to pull him out of himself. He has no bills or other, in a sense, worldly responsibilities that sort of force him out. The danger of marriage is distraction, busyness. Never making time for the Lord. Never making time for prayer or reading God's Word because I'm constantly busy, constantly going somewhere, doing this, doing that. And I don't have time for a relationship with God. The second disposition that is essential to living our specific vocations is what I like to call openness. Openness is the essential disposition that we need for the other, to God. Another way of saying this is availability to whatever God asks of you. Remember in the book of Samuel, when God calls Samuel, what does Samuel say? He says, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What a beautiful response. And this is also really the nature of contemplative prayer. This availability, this listening heart, this listening disposition to God. Think about it. When was the last time that you said in prayer, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. What does Mary say at the Annunciation, when the angel Gabriel appears to her? She says, let it be done unto me, according to your word. Mary did not understand what was happening. Mary did not have a glimpse into the future to see how things would work out. She wasn't giving a playbook on, okay, how to react when this happens. But what she did have was openness to God. A worthwhile question to maybe ask ourselves is how open am I really to God right now? How open have I been to God this week or this year? After all, God is much bigger than our ideas. He is much bigger than our plans. And the fact is that both gift of self and openness might lead us to places that we didn't imagine at first. Which is good because it shows us We are truly following Jesus, and not our own ideas, and not our own images. New York City is the last place in the world I ever wanted to go. That's how I knew my vocation to the Friars was of God. Because there was no way I would ever want to move to New York City. I remember telling people as a teenager, New York City is a place I will never go. And sure enough, I ended up moving there a couple years after I made those statements. Because God was calling me there. Interesting, in the Gospels, what does Jesus say to Peter? At the end of his life. After asking Peter three times, do you love me? Jesus says these powerful words to Peter. He says, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands And another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. And after this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. If you remember, Peter's specific vocation began by the lake of Geneserat in Luke chapter 5. Peter is a fisherman who is out all night, and he catches nothing. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and he tells him to cast out over here. And what happens? Peter pulls up a net filled with fish. He is amazed, because at first, Jesus seems to be a much better fisherman than him. And when they get to shore... Peter leaves everything and follows him. And Peter, in imitation of Jesus, will die on the cross. But he will die upside down. And we might ask the question, where is the happy ending in all of this? Peter has given up everything to follow Jesus. And this is his fate. This is how his life ends. But the happy ending is that Peter followed Jesus. Yes, after falling and fumbling and stumbling all around, Peter follows Jesus and not anybody else. And through all the twists and all the turns and the mountains and valleys, Peter now reigns in heaven with him. And so, this is the essence of our specific vocation. It is not a guaranteed ride to worldly bliss. It is not a guarantee for popularity or prosperity or acknowledgement by the world or by friends or anything like that. We are following one who was... Forsaken, who was betrayed, who was crucified. And the same may be true of us. But it doesn't matter what may happen. We are called to follow Christ. Peter asks, if John will betray him. And what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. And that's what Jesus says to every one of us. That's what Jesus says to our anxieties and fears about the future. That is what Jesus says to us in our sickness, or when someone we love is sick, or when we experience death and tragedy, we experience love and joy and peace. What is Jesus saying to us in all of that? Follow me. Following Christ is the only option for us. It is essentially God's plan for our life. Before we get married, before we become priests or religious, before we live in the world as single people, whatever it is in the way we live, the first and most important part of our life is to follow Christ. If we do that, He will lead us to wherever it is He wants us. As for us, our mission is to follow Him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.